1: I'm Ainsley Earhart. I'm Brett Baer. I'm Katie Pavlich. And this is the Fox News Rundown. Tuesday, June 7th, 2022. I'm Lisa Brady. High prices and less supply could add up to summer blackouts as the president pushes clean energy.
0: Right now, energy prices are high for everything, whether it be oil, gasoline, coal, uh, natural gas. And so the question is, how do we uh, fill the gap while we perhaps wait for more technology to come online.
2: I'm Chris Foster. Going public in prime time this week, the House Committee investigating last year's January 6th Capitol riot.
3: They are really treating this as a production to bring together a narrative with imagery and audio evidence to show what occurred. But people, of course, already saw the end of this movie. It's a rather painful ending for most Americans.
4: And I'm Ben Dominich. I've got the final word on the Fox News rundown.
1: The White House says everything's on the table to help fight inflation. But so far, the crunch continues, especially for gas and groceries. This is a global challenge. Uh, this is something that everyone is feeling uh, across the globe. Still, White House spokeswoman Karine Jean-Pierre says they know high prices are hurting families. Gas prices topping 4.86 a gallon on Monday in AAA's national average. And there's concern about the bigger picture on energy prices and energy supply. Without enough viable alternatives ready to replace shuttered coal plants, for instance.
4: They've already got supply on site. Uh, to the extent those are starting to get depleted, that's when we're really going to see a major, a major problem in the electricity markets. Rich
1: Nolan, CEO of the National Mining Association, says some areas could have trouble meeting electricity demand this summer or face reliability issues, including Texas, California, and the Midwest.
0: A year ago, coal from Appalachia in the U.S., uh, about $61.55 for a tonne.
1: Fox Business's Jeff Flock spent Monday at what used to be a coal plant in Philadelphia, one of hundreds that have been closed around the country. Uh, It
0: is now $129 a ton. That's an increase in one year of 110 percent. So even uh, outstripping the the increase in gas prices, uh, coal is, uh, as some people have said, on fire, not in a good way.
1: Wow. We hear a lot in recent years about coal plants closing in the U.S. I mean, What's the status of coal right now as an industry? Is it is it any less needed as an energy source than it was even a decade or two ago? Well, curiously enough, it
0: is probably more needed right now because the price for natural gas, you know, coal, of course... You know, it's traditionally been the main way that the U.S. has generated electricity. But the transition to natural gas came as natural gas prices came down because of fracking, uh, natural gas being uh, a way to, you know, a part of the, the fracking process. And so the transition was away from coal to natural gas. Well, now natural gas prices have skyrocketed as well because there's need all around the world and, of course, the issue in Ukraine. So... A lot of uh, electricity generators have switched back to coal. And so, uh, you know, in a time when energy is tight everywhere, uh, it's sort of uh, all hands on deck and coal is one of those hands.
1: Yeah, And when you talk about electricity generators, that's the thing that it feels like gets lost in the conversation about energy as a whole sometimes is the fact that if you want to do more things with electricity, those plants are powered by something. That's the
0: kind of the, the weird uh, dichotomy there The people that are advocating for a cleaner environment sometimes overlook the means to get there, which is generate more electricity. We all want the environment clearly to, to be clean and a, a fit place to live. Uh, the problem is right now in terms of generating the electricity necessary to get more cars, more electric vehicles on the road, we got to get that from somewhere. Right now, energy prices are high for everything, whether it be oil, gasoline, coal, uh, natural gas. And so the question is, how do we uh, fill the gap while we perhaps wait for more technology to come online that makes wind and solar? I mean, everybody would love I mean, would you rather dig in the ground for coal a mile underground, you know, bring it up and then crush it and burn it? Or would you rather harness the uh, the sun uh, and the and the wind? Uh, obviously, if you could do that efficiently, you'd much rather do it that way. The question is: Are we ready to do that in a big way and replace what is going away potentially when we shut plants down that burn coal?
1: Right, and I guess even if the U.S. wants to use less coal, the reality is other parts of the world are mining and using more of it. Right, in terms of the global. Demand for coal, it doesn't seem to be diminishing. Do I have that right?
0: I think, unfortunately, you do. Uh, Yes, as um, we try to lead the world, uh, the U.S., that is, uh, in terms of a future that is less fossil fuel dependent, uh, the problem is those who are not as concerned about that, perhaps, and and you look to places like China and Russia and India uh, at the moment those places then begin to have an advantage because if they're not concerned about regulation or uh, confining their emissions, yeah, that puts them in a position of strength. And, you know, we, we can only do so much here at home and it, the world is, is one world. Uh, and so unless you can get other people on board, which has not completely happened, uh, it puts us at a disadvantage.
1: Hmm. I know reliability is a word that comes up, too, because there does seem to be growing concern about renewable energy in terms of being able to meet all of the demand, even just here in the U.S.? You know, can power grids survive right now without coal in the U.S.?
0: Well, right now, I think it's fair to say no, but we are continuing to shut down, uh, you know, coal-fired plants uh, to the tune of, you know, it's hard to to quantify it in some ways, but the way uh, the U.S. uh, Energy Information Agency quantifies it is the amount of uh, gigawatts of power. And for reference, a gigawatt of power powers about 750,000 homes, Uh, And uh, we are on record right now uh, to shut down about 12 gigawatts of coal fired generation uh, this year. So do the math, 750,000 homes times 12, um, you start to get real numbers there. Uh, And is there enough renewable energy and natural gas coming online to replace that? Theoretically, that is true. But You know, when you're bringing other forms of energy online, they sometimes don't go as planned. And so there's that issue. Uh, So right now, we still burn a significant amount of coal. In fact, 2021, 22 percent of our electricity came from coal, 38 percent from natural gas, about 20 percent from nuclear, and about a little less than 20 percent from renewables. So... You know, it's a mix, again, of all hands on deck at the moment. And until we get more renewables online, coal is definitely going to be in the mix.
1: President Biden is hoping to accelerate the effort to get more renewable energy by invoking the Defense Production Act, an emergency step previously used for supplies to help fight COVID and to address a baby formula shortage. Now the goal is to boost U.S. production of clean energy products, including solar panels. Altogether, uh, these historic actions will cut costs uh, for American families, strengthen our power grid and tackle the climate crisis. Spokeswoman Corrie Jean-Pierre says it's an important step in the president's agenda to build a clean energy arsenal. But how much can Monday's order do to help the energy grid in the long run? Or could it just be seen as another attempt at hastening a transition to cleaner energy?
0: Well, I think the answer is yes to both in that yeah, in the long run, probably those things help uh, to make that transition. And listen, a vast number of people in this country think that that transition that the president talked about is something that's a good thing, that they are willing to uh, experience a little pain for. And then there's another significant uh, amount of population in the U.S. that uh, is very much against that and feels that the government is is you know playing favorites and making winners and losers Um you know, the, it kind of depends on your, your point of view on this. Um, clearly, as we said, uh, it's, a, it's a great thing to have cleaner energy and energy that doesn't pollute the environment. How quickly that comes uh, is, is a good question. Right now, obviously, you look at the polls, people are not happy with the way uh, the president has um Put out his energy policy and the impact that that's having, both at the gas pump as well as the cost of electricity uh, and heating and cooling your homes. Um, so, you know, where that goes from here, I don't know. Uh, You know, the president isn't solely responsible. Some blame him completely for the rise in gas prices and the rise in energy prices. I mean, the reality is uh, there was increased demand coming out of the uh, out of the pandemic anyway. It's summer driving season. People are out driving around. There's more need for gasoline. And then you've got the Ukraine situation and the boycott uh, of much of the world boycotting Russian oil, which takes a whole huge piece out of the energy PI uh, and then OPEC not meeting its, its uh, quota uh, requirements or, or uh, qu- uh, quota announcements. And so, you know, it's a bit of a perfect storm. And unfortunately, the storm <laughs> shows no real signs of abating.
1: Uh, well, and then you have the White House kind of pushing clean energy on the one hand, but then praising the OPEC announcement that it's going to start, you know, ramping up its Production A little more quickly than originally anticipated, you know, as it boosts production coming out of the sort of pandemic limits that had been placed. So that's an interesting position for for the Biden administration to be in when they they want to use less fossil fuels. But then there is a reality that increasing oil production can help to lower prices
0: they are dancing there a very difficult dance and maybe one that you could argue is a dance that's necessary, but it's, they're kind of trying to be in the middle on this, which is encouraging, um, you know, uh, a greener environment and a cleaner uh, energy sources at the same time, realizing that the cost of energy right now is, is really hurting people. And so they're kind of in the middle of the road, uh, with their policy and, You know, as Margaret Thatcher, I think, once said, you know, if you're in the middle of the road, you're most likely to get run down. Um, So it's, you know, it's easy to say, oh, drill, baby, drill, and, and that's the whole answer. The reality is even if you you got friendlier to the oil and gas industry right now that new any new production that was announced or or uh, enabled would not be online anytime soon so we're going to be in this high price environment for a while i don't think there's much the president can do about that yes down the road it would help if we You know, we were more friendly, perhaps, uh, to the oil and gas drillers and and, uh, to that kind of energy. But, you know, as I said, a significant amount of the population would oppose that. They would say, hey, listen, we need to make this transition. It's maybe not going to be pretty in the short term, but we
1: ought to do it. It's certainly jarring when gas prices that sometimes recently had been going up like a penny a day, then all of a sudden it's a nickel a day, it's jumping, Um, and so... You know, there there have been energy experts who have compared this to the trajectory of the energy crisis from the 1970s. You're out in the field a lot talking to people in these industries. Is that what they tell you? Do they do they feel like it's the 1970s again? Well,
0: we're, we are in terms of if you really want to look at, at it objectively for a long time, I was one as gas prices rose pointed out that inflation-adjusted gas prices were still well below the the all-time record uh, because back in the late 70s and early 80s, yeah, gasoline, uh, inflation-adjusted, cost more than it has until recently. Uh, I think inflation-adjusted gas from 1980, say, uh, was about $4.50 a gallon. Well, now (laughs) we have gone beyond that. And so, yeah, The thing we had then that we don't have now was uh, a lack of supply. Um, Now we do have enough. It is quite costly. I remember as a kid having my parents send me down to get in the gas line because it was, you know, uh, a mile long. There wasn't enough of it out there. So... I don't think we're there. Although I tell you, when you talk about uh, other forms of energy, there are concerns this summer that there might not be a lot enough electricity out there because of a lack of coal, because of some some of it because of high prices, some of it because of drought and the reduction of hydropower. We might not have electricity in some places, or maybe some rolling blackouts.
1: Wow, Fox Business's Jeff flock We always appreciate your insight. Thank you so much.
0: Great to talk to you, Lisa. Thank you.
4: This is Ben Domenech with your Fox News commentary, coming up.
2: Thursday night, starting at 8 p.m. Eastern, is the first public hearing of the special House committee investigating the riot at the Capitol last January 6th. California Democrat Adam Schiff's on that committee. Our goal is to present uh, the narrative of what happened in this country, how close we came to losing our democracy, what led to that violent attack on the 6th. Uh, the American people, I think, know a great deal already. They've seen a number of bombshells already. Uh, there's a great deal they haven't seen, but perhaps most important is the public hasn't seen it uh, woven together. He spoke to CBS Face the Nation, top House Republican minority leader Kevin McCarthy on Fox's Sunday Morning Futures.
3: This committee does not have 13 members as the power
0: of the House voted for it to have. But what's even worse about this committee is it's beyond its legislative scope. You know, there are separations of powers. The House does
2: not have criminal investigation. Two of his choices for the committee were denied by House Speaker Nancy Pelosi, so he pulled the other three. Pelosi then appointed two Republicans, Liz Cheney and Adam Kinzinger. Fox confirms the committee hired a former ABC News president, James Goldson, to sort of produce the hearings to make them TV-friendly. And committee members are promising new information for people tuning in.
3: The problem, I think, is that polls have shown that most of members of the public have moved on.
2: Jonathan Turley is a Fox News legal contributor, attorney, and George Washington University law professor.
3: There's a a long time uh, that has passed since many of us reached that condemnation stage. I reached that stage during uh, President Trump's remarks, which I criticized, on January 6th. Um, Certainly, most Americans uh, reached a point of condemnation in the days that followed. The question is whether a significant number will tune in or have their minds changed. Um, The framing of the hearing seems designed to rekindle some of that lost interest. Whether they're successful or not, I'm not certain, but hiring a television producer is not necessarily going to move that needle.
2: Yeah. I mean, I'm trying to think of what possible blockbuster evidence could come out or if they're just going to try to convey it all with the presentation. I mean, either you're cool with what happened that day or you're not cool with what happened that day, or you don't care. And, you know, I don't know what the committee is trying to do here. I, I mean, is it electoral politics? Is it safeguarding democracy or, hey, let's do both?
3: Well, I think that they are really treating this as a production to bring together a narrative with imagery and audio evidence to show what occurred. But people, of course, already saw the end of this movie. It's a rather painful ending for most Americans. I think that they will release new details of things that were said in the White House. I think that this is going to be highly damning towards uh, the former president But at the end of the day, I think they're going to be largely retreading the same ground. I mean, it's clear that many people wanted to challenge the certification of the votes. Democrats have challenged the certification in past years. It's also clear that President Trump did fuel a lot of that anger on January 6th, and there was a lot of reckless statements that were made. It's also clear that that Challenge became a full fledged riot. Um, so the question is how will not the narrative, but the facts change? That, you know, showing that a lot of people acted irresponsibly uh, and recklessly is not necessarily going to be news to most Americans. Uh,
2: Was the interplay, if any, between the committee's work, which has been very extensive over the last 11 months, and what the Justice Department might be doing uh, criminally? Is it possible that the committee is so, you know, so focused and catching such a wide net that the DOJ can then piggyback on that work and say, thanks for the evidence. We wouldn't have gone this depth on our own. We'll take it from here.
3: Well, there can be Uh, cross-pollinization. The fact is that prosecutors will sometimes take from congressional investigations and testimony. And at other times, Congress will take from what is released in indictments. The fact as it stands now is that hundreds of people, over 700, have been arrested with regard to January 6th. Only a small number have been charged with sedition-related offenses. The vast majority are charged with trespass, unlawful entry, and crimes of that kind. Uh, So even though this has been portrayed as an insurrection, that's not how it's been charged in court for the vast majority of people arrested by the government.
2: I guess my question is related more to not the people who were there that day and, you know, took selfies or did whatever they did, uh, even if they, you know, committed some damage. I'm talking about the the planners of it all, the bigger fish of it all. Uh, if, if there is evidence that there is a conspiracy in terms of that, and then I guess the DOJ would have to have the political appetite to do it.
3: Well, they have to have the political appetite, but before that, they really need the evidence. And the question is, evidence of a conspiracy of what? Federal law allows for members to challenge the certification of presidential elections. It has been done previously. It was done by Democrats. And when it was done, it was praised by figures like Speaker Pelosi. So conspiring to challenge an election can't be a crime, unless you're going to take a hatchet to the First Amendment. You know, there is a right of people of free speech, um, uh, and there's also a right to use federal law uh, when it allows for challenges to be made. Does that mean that the challenge was made in good faith? No, of course it doesn't. I opposed the challenge to the certification. I saw no grounds uh, to do so, but federal law allows members. Uh, to make such challenges. So in order for there to be a criminal case, you really need to show a conspiracy to do something that is, is criminal. Right. right. And, the you know, we're really talking about something that would directly tie President Trump or others to the violence itself, you know, either encouraging it or coordinating with violent individuals or withholding resources in order to assist the rioters. There's been no indication of that, what what we've heard are sort of vignettes, are these statements allegedly made by President Trump that showed a shocking lack of sympathy, not just in terms of the safety of his own vice president, but in terms of the fact that there were rioters uh, running through the Capitol. Um, That is not itself a crime. You know, that may show that someone is a terrible person, but it doesn't show that they are a criminal actor.
2: You've written uh, about what you call subpoena wars with the committee not getting what they want from some people. Most recently, uh, former trade advisor Peter Navarro, he got um, he got handcuffs thrown on him on Friday. And you, you, I, I guess your concern is that this is just going to be the, the the way. And if Republicans take over, then there's hearings about this or that. And then there's subpoenas about this. And, and, and it just never ends.
3: I think this has been a remarkably short sighted strategy on the part of the Democrats, you know, Uh, Chairman Schiff has objected that there have not been more uh, arrests and prosecutions of some of the Trump officials who have refused to fully cooperate with the January 6th committee. Uh, That disappointment really sort of captures the problem. That is, the committee decided to issue subpoenas against members of the House of Representatives. In doing so, they crossed a Rubicon uh, that has really been a defining limit in past Congresses. You know, this is not the first period of rage and political division. But as angry as our politics has been, both parties saw a value to the detente uh, surrounding subpoenas uh, directed at their own members. They understood that that is a course of mutually assured destruction. If we start the subpoenaing of of members of the opposing party, then there will be no limits to the partisan rage that would follow. It's not clear that these subpoenas really would ever have achieved much. In fact, it's unlikely that they would achieve much, but they may cost a great deal. The the Democrats just created precedent that Republicans can now use to target democratic leaders with subpoenas if they retake the house. And that's what I mean by mutually assured destruction.
2: I get the concern about um, abusing subpoena power, but if you don't extend it in extraordinary circumstances, doesn't that allow people including members of Congress to just act with impunity knowing that that there's something that, a line that won't be crossed by the other side? Or do you just say okay, we'll leave it up to we'll leave it up, leave it up to the justice department if something really is untoward?
3: No, I support the power of Congress to subpoena information, including the January 6th committee. I do believe that this committee violated decades of tradition by not allowing the Republicans to appoint members. I think the committee is partisan and it is questionable in terms of how it was created. But having said that, There's no question that Congress has a right to this information, as uh, does the public. In the case of Navarro, uh, he made this rather easy, in my view, by refusing any cooperation with the committee. Uh, He was in contempt. Of Congress. Now, he may be able to defeat the subpoena by saying the committee is invalid, but that argument has failed in front of other courts. He would have been much wiser to have cooperated to the extent that he's already publicly discussed these issues. You can't claim privilege when you are publishing a book and giving public interviews on the very subject matter that Congress is seeking information about. So Navarro made this easy for the committee. So I don't I don't really question the the right of Congress to issue these subpoenas. I tend to support legislative authority in that sense. What I strongly disagree with is issuing subpoenas against fellow members. To use, to put this into perspective, when when in many states, when you seek information from a reporter, there are laws called shield laws that protect the reporter. Uh, Not because there's a bad faith interest in the information, but because it contravenes other values. And the whole premise is you need to go and find other sources for the information. Well, most of these conversations uh, had uh, other parties who have discussed uh, what was said and what was done. So there is a certain redundancy to these subpoenas. But at the end of the day, I don't believe that the powder is worth the prize in breaking this tradition. They're not gonna get a lot in my view from these members, but they could lose a lot if they find themselves in the minority.
2: Jonathan Turley, uh, Fox News legal contributor, George Washington University Law School professor. Uh, Jonathan, always good to talk to you. Thank you very much.
3: My great pleasure. Thank you. Hi, everybody. It's Brian Kilmeade. I
2: want you to join me weekdays at 9 a.m. East as we break down the biggest stories of the day with some of the biggest newsmakers and, of course, what you think.
3: Listen live or get the podcast
4: now at briankilmeadeshow.com. Subscribe to this podcast at foxnewspodcasts.com. It's time for your Fox News commentary. Ben Dominick what's on your mind hello everyone i'm ben dominich i am a fox news contributor and editor at large at the spectator and i wanted to give you some perspective on some developments that are happening within conservatism in america i had a great time uh, in nashville this past week uh, where i was allowed to sit on stage with a number of critical conservatives to discuss the future of conservatism in America. We had some great questions from the audience and a lot of them focused on foreign policy and national security, something that I think is a critical point of discussion for conservatives who are trying to figure out the path forward, namely that we want to be around a form of conservatism that includes the America first agenda when it comes to foreign policy, but that we aren't necessarily of the same mind about what America first means when it comes to foreign policy. From my perspective, the general approach ought to be this. There is a national security benefit to having the United States of America determine its own course when it comes to the world. I think, unfortunately, we have been boxed in in a certain respect by trade policies of the past that overwhelmingly favored the interests of places like China that do not share our vision of the world. But the fact is that the United States of America has been a great benefit to the world. And when it does not go out in missions of expedition in order to create utopian societies in Afghanistan or Iraq, it actually has had an enormous benefit to the world to have the United States be a bulwark against the kind of ideological foes that we face in so many different respects. What should we offer the world instead? From my perspective, it's very simple. We are meant to uphold order, to uphold peace, to uphold a position within the world that allows for these different nations to pursue their own ends, unfettered by the, uh, the admonishment of fascist or authoritarian regimes that would like to bend them to their will. We want them to be able to determine their own course. And we do not, as a nation, stand ready to be beholden to these international entities that would seek to warp american will or direct our path in ways that are not in the priorities of the american people what does that look like from my perspective it's something that's very consistent and it's something that we shouldn't be pushed off of simply because people have the aim of making the united states not just a policeman of the world in terms of uh, bearing down on people who would do ill but a world-changing entity in terms of uh, a nation that would go out seeking opportunities to warp and evolve different nations in ways that they may not be ready for and they may not be willing to go along with from my perspective this is something It's very clear. It's something that is uh, being uh, embodied in many ways by a number of different members of Congress and of the Senate. And it's something that I hope is only encouraged by a new uh, group of, of people who will show up in Washington after November with a mind on changing the path of foreign policy and national security in a beneficial way from a conservative America first agenda. I'm Ben Dominic. Listen and subscribe to the Ben Dominich Podcast, which you can find at Foxnewspodcasts.com. You've been listening to the Fox News Rundown. Rundown. Stay up to date by subscribing to this podcast at Foxnewspodcasts.com. And for up to the minute news, go to Foxnews.com. Precise, personal, powerful. It's America's weather team in the palm of your hands. Get Fox weather updates throughout your busy day, every day. Subscribe and listen now at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts.